Thank you, Augie. I appreciate that and always appreciate the opportunity to be here in my own family, uh, bringing the Word of God. That's a, that's a great privilege. As Augie mentioned, I'm, I'm retired. What that basically means is I'm free to do what my wife and others ask me to do without having to worry about being paid for it, which is actually great. I recommend it. Uh, uh, I'm able to do what uh, some things that I've wanted to do for a long time. One of those things is I'm working on writing a book. Now, at this point, it's more a hobby than it is actually a publishable manuscript, if you understand. But I have hopes that someday it may grow up and actually become a book. <clears throat> so I'll keep you informed on that. The topic of the book I'm working on is understanding what the gospel is. What really is the message of our faith? And one of the uh, uh, things I've been working with in, in that regard is the concept of redemption. We are redeemed. All right? Now, I, I want to unpack that a little bit because the word redeem really goes back to a, a fundamental aspect of the culture of the people of God in the Old Testament. In the, in, in the days when our faith began, the culture was really centered on family. Not just nuclear family, mother, dad, and kids, but the whole extended family, all the uncles and aunts and grandparents and everybody tended to live together and work together in the same business, on the family farm or in, in whatever business they were engaged in. <clears throat> families tended to be the central unit of society. And it was very important for you to know who your family is. You may have noticed in reading through the Bible that there's a lot of genealogies. So-and-so beget such-and-such, and, such, and that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But in that culture, that was key. Where you came from, who your family is, defined who you are. Now, once in a, sometimes, if times got bad, there was famine, there was an economic downturn, some members of the family would have to leave the family farm and go work for a stranger as a servant or a slave in order to, to make a living. And that was, there was something wrong about that because being separated from family separated you from who you are. So the highest priority would be to gather up enough resources, somehow find a way to come back home, to back home to your family. And when that happened, the word used was redeem. The, the person who has wandered away is redeemed back into the family structure which defines who they are. So that's the root of that word. You see it throughout the Old Testament. Uh, just, the book of Ruth. If you haven't read the book of Ruth lately, it's a great story. Easy to read. Great stuff. Thumbnail version. Ruth's husband left the family. Just like I've been talking about in a time of famine. And when he went, he was there in the land of Moab and he met and married his wife Ruth. So Ruth became adopted into her husband's family. Now, when her husband died, she was a widow, and she, but she still considered herself part of that family. And so when her mother-in-law returned home, Ruth returned with her. 
but they were in a trouble because as widows they had very little opportunity to make a living. So the thrust of the book of Ruth, the story is that Boaz, who happened to have been her kinsman, a member of her family, found Ruth and redeemed her. Boaz is called the kinsman redeemer right there in the book because he brought her back into the family where she belonged. The story of the prodigal son in the New Testament is the same thing. The son left the family, you see, went into a far country. And when he came back, even though the word isn't there in the text, what happened is his father redeemed him, restored him to the family heritage which he had turned his back on. It's a central concept in all of the scripture. Today I want us to look in some detail at a story which may not be familiar. It's a story out of the life of King David in the Old Testament and his relationship with the family of Saul. Now to set a little background, you probably are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. David who came and uh, killed the Philistine giant when the rest of Israel's army was helpless. And after that event, David for a time went to the palace to live with King Saul. David played the harp. Saul was a little mentally unstable and David seemed to have a calming influence for a while. During that time, something very important happened that we sometimes overlook. I want us to look at the scripture in 1 Samuel and see what that story has to tell us. And if the screen begins working, fine. If not, I have a backup plan. Here we go. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, you may never have paid attention to that scripture before, but there's a very important concept in it right at the beginning. Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul, made a covenant with David. They developed a friendship, and it became more than a friendship. They chose to bind themselves together in covenant, which is another important Old Testament concept. To make a covenant with someone is, in essence, to make them part of your family. Remember how important family is. Jonathan brought David into his family by making that covenant. The closest parallel in our culture to covenant would be like marriage, when two separate people join together to make a family. Or perhaps even better, when a child is adopted. A stranger who has no claim on the family is brought into the family with the covenant of adoption. And now they belong to this family forever. That's what's happening with Jonathan and David. <clears throat> but you have to look behind the scenes here and understand that that was a politically very unwise thing 
for Jonathan to do. Saul is the king. Jonathan is his son, the prince, the heir to the throne. Now David, who after his victory over Goliath, had become more and more popular with the people, had already been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. So David and Jonathan are rivals for the kingdom. This is Republicans and Democrats, people. And they made a covenant with each other. That is bound to complicate things, right? Because now they're the same family and what's going to happen? King Saul understood this. And he became jealous of David and actually began to uh, uh, try to take David's life. And so the rest of the book of 1 Samuel tells a story of David running for his life, fleeing from King Saul for several years, until at last there's another war with the Philistines and Saul and Jonathan are both killed in the battle. Now this presented a political crisis in the land of Israel because the king and the heir are gone. And there's a rivalry for the throne between the supporters of King Saul's family and the supporters of David, who was much more popular among the people. And so for some time there was conflict. But David reacted to that conflict in a very strange and unusual way. As the book of 2 Samuel opens, there's a, a poetic passage in which David mourns the loss of Saul and Jonathan. It goes like this. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. Now this goes on for a whole chapter. I just picked out a couple of verses to introduce it. You see, David is mourning the death of his covenant friend, Jonathan. Because David considers himself part of that family. And David's followers were confused. He ought to be fighting against the remainder of Saul and Jonathan's dynasty. That's what you would expect. You purge the old dynasty and bring in all new people to start over fresh. It's not what David did. In fact, after several years of struggle, David was finally established on the throne. He became king. And after there was peace in the land and David had established the palace and things were going well, he remembered that covenant that he had made with Jonathan. And here's where the story gets really interesting. David is sitting around one day and he says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see what he's asking? He's remembered the covenant. And that word kindness, it's really a stronger word than what comes across in the English translation. In the Hebrew, the word is hesed. And it's a a very strong and, and technical word that has to do with the relationship of covenant. Hesed is the relationship between covenant partners. It means faithful, 
love, kindness, the willingness to lay down your very life on behalf of the partner in the covenant. So David is asking, I made a covenant with Jonathan. Is there anyone left in, Dave, in Jonathan's family that still deserves my hesed, my kindness? Now, no one, had, no one knew about that covenant. David could have just kept quiet and gone on about his way and established his kingdom. When he used that word hesed, everybody said, what? There's something going on here. There's a covenant involved that we didn't know about. And then it continues to get interesting. Because the very next verse says, Now there was a servant of Saul's household, the old dynasty, still in the palace, named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him the same thing, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied, The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's hesed, kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Understand what's happening here. Ziba, who had been a servant in the palace during the time of King Saul, was still there, and he had apparently kept up with the descendants of Jonathan. He knew about this son. I wonder if Ziba had been sort of like a spy in the household reporting back to the family of Saul what happened with King David and wondering what's going to happen next. But when he heard David use that word hesed, he realized, oh, I'd better come forward and come clean and let the King David know what I know about this son of Jonathan. Because the story goes on. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. <laughs> Remember, this son of Jonathan, who, whose name is Mephibosheth, is crippled in both feet. There's a little parenthesis a couple of chapters earlier that said that uh, when, when they fled the palace after the death of Saul and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up to run away and dropped him. Infant boy. Broke his feet and he became crippled in both feet. So here is Mephibosheth living in exile far away from his family land. Remember the significance of that. He's crippled and he's probably, with the remainder of his family, wondering if there might be some way that he could ever return to, the, to Jerusalem, to his family's land. And so David finds him out. Imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's mind when he hears the soldiers of the king walking through town, asking for the house of Machir, son of Amiel, calling out his name, and bringing him back to Jerusalem. Mephibosheth can't run away. He's crippled. He can't hide any longer. Ziba has turned him in. He's been found out. And he comes before the king, and 
what happens next is, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. I mean, what else could he do? I imagine that when Mephibosheth came face to face with David, his rival, the king, who was sitting on the throne, that he, Mephibosheth, felt belonged to him. And when he bowed down before him, he never expected to stand up again. That would have been the way of things. David has found the last surviving heir of Saul, and he's going to take care of business and make sure that his throne is established. Mephibosheth is entirely at the mercy of David. And what he finds is mercy, is hesed, kindness. Because look what David says. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you hesed for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth is being redeemed. He's being brought back into his family heritage. And more than that, he's being adopted by David so that, and invited to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. What an amazing story. But you see, it's not just a story out of history. It's not just something ha that happened to obscure people in the Old Testament. This is our story. We are Mephibosheth. Living in exile from the king, imagining that somehow we might be able to run our own lives and be in charge of things rather than submit to the rightful king. We have left our family heritage. And what we don't realize is that the king has a covenant. And he remembers it. And he comes looking for us. And we hear the messengers of the king calling out our name. And we realize we can't hide or run anymore. And we're brought face to face with the king of the universe whom we have always feared we couldn't really trust. And what we find at his hand is mercy, kindness, redemption. You see, there is a son of David who makes covenant with us. Every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve is included in the covenant. And the king, the king of kings, offers to redeem us. He invites us to eat at his table for all eternity, the great banquet of the Lamb of God. So stand up, Mephibosheth. Stop running away. Stop trying to hide. There's a covenant, and the king invites you to his table. This table, in fact, which is a foretaste, a foreshadowing of the great banquet for all eternity, which all of the covenant children of the king 
will share forever. And so Jesus, the son of David, shared a meal with his disciples. And he took bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Come to the table and partake of food which will last. And he took a cup and he said, This is the covenant which I have made in my own blood and which I now offer to you. Come and drink. Every time you do it, remember who you are. A child of the king. Son of Adam. Daughter of Eve. Every human being who has ever lived on the face of this planet is welcome to the table of the king. Amazing good news. We have been redeemed. Join me as we pray as those who are serving come forward.